Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus Christ to help us connect and experience this eternal love which cannot be contained. Uh, but you've enabled us, Lord, to experience in our hearts your spirit crying, Abba, Father. And I pray that everyone here this morning would hear that cry in their hearts and be able to respond in faith and with thanksgiving. Amen. You may be seated. Merry Christmas. Can you believe it? It's New Year's Eve already. It is merry. Um, it doesn't always feel that way, though, I know. This is kind of a funny time of year where uh, it's full of joy and happy songs and, and, uh, and celebration and gift-giving, and there is a great delight in it, I find. And yet, there's a, there's a melancholy that can come in there as well. Um, you know, you're with your, your extended family, which is always, you know, prickly here and there, and uh, it's the passing of a year and the beginning of a new one, and for many of us, that can be a very difficult transition and passage. And I take a lot of joy and hope from our gospel reading this morning. As many of you know, we're launching into a year with the Gospel of John. And we've had some introductory material, and you know, this morning with John 1, we're really now starting uh, from the very beginning, so to speak. And um, as I was preparing for this, I, I, I was thinking a lot about it, something that uh, a professor I had in seminary said once. He was a very interesting guy, which is why I think of him. His name was Christian Becker, a Dutch fellow who actually was uh, interned as a, in a forced labor camp in World War II and um, struggled a great deal because of that experience throughout his life with depression and alcoholism and, and other things. And he said once in a class... Uh, on Romans, he said, what causes him the most pain isn't suffering, it's, it's pointless suffering. And he said there's a difference between suffering for a cause and suffering for reasons that you can't figure out. He said that's hard, pointless suffering. We have a thirst for meaning, and I, I think that's what occupies our mind and our actions a lot, is trying to make sense out of this. You know, when, when, when we're struggling with something, we, we, uh, we went to see the Star Wars movie uh, this week. And what is it about? It's the classic myth of people trying to find their origins, trying to make sense of themselves. Who are their parents? Where do their gifts come from? What's their vocation? What are they supposed to be doing here? It's the ancient story told, told over and over again. Many of us will be watching football. This is the same thing. I mean, it's a great kind of competition, but there's, it's built up into something more, the epic battle and who's going to win and how does this make me feel like I'm part of an epic battle with some sort, sort of concrete meaning. That's a challenge for us when our circumstances start to undermine or chip away at that meaning, and that's when we start to backpedal and things start to get really tough. You know, sometimes you feel really centered in who you are and what you're doing, and, and things, but then something happens in your life or a series of things happen in your life and you're not so sure anymore. And all of a sudden, that snowball can start to roll down the hill and you start to lose your grip on things that matter to you. Thinking of World War II, I, I was reminded of this quote by a famous Jewish man, Elie Wiesel, who wrote a famous book on his experience in the Holocaust. It's a very difficult one. His book is called Night. 
And one of his famous quotes from that book is this one. He said, Neither, never shall I forget that night, the first night in camp at Auschwitz, which has turned my life into one long night, seven times cursed and seven times sealed. Never shall I forget those moments which murdered my God and my soul and turned my dreams to dust. Never shall I forget these things, even if I am condemned to live as long as God himself. You could see that for him and for many Jewish people, that experience of being in the concentration camps undermined their fundamental faith in God. We may not struggle exactly with that level of horror, but sometimes we feel like we're pretty close. And we're asking ourselves this question, is there something more powerful and more comprehensive than that? What's more powerful? Those things that undermine our experience of, of something good and, and right, or, or, or is it the good and the right itself that's more powerful? It, it, we're looking for some answer that's more strong than the strength of my question. Something that's more strong than the strength of my question, more powerful than the power of the darkness that sometimes feels like it's closing in on our, on, on our lives. You say, boy, this is a really great, inspiring sermon to begin with. We've got the Holocaust in here and feeling overwhelmed. I'm already feeling overwhelmed. But I have to say that because that's where our text is going to lead us is to the power that's more powerful than the darkness. And the answer is yes. Yes, the answer isn't a philosophical answer. I'm not going to explain something to you today. The answer is a person. If you feel overwhelmed and you feel dark, there's not some logical answer that's going to help you out of it. We need to talk about it. But it's the encounter with a person who's stronger than the strength of your question and of your challenge. And that is how John introduces us to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the story which John is going to tell us as we start to engage in this now. It's the story which John's going to tell us about how God's life and your life come together. And they come together through the life and ministry of Jesus, which is the story that we're going to tell now. The gospel is the good news about how your life and God's life come together. And I love the fact that as we begin to, to move now, and we're going to talk about the first five verses of the, of the gospel of John. If you have your Bible, you can turn to John chapter 1 or you can follow along in your service uh, booklet. This is a hymn. The, the, uh, the first 18 verses or so of John, it, it probably is something that either uh, he and his community composed for their community or they were already singing it and John takes it and adapts it for his purposes. Uh, and we see this actually happening elsewhere in Scripture. If you want to do a little extra homework, there are early Christian hymns that you can find there. Paul and Peter and the author of Hebrews uh, all quote some of these early Christian hymns. And here's what's interesting about this. What's interesting is that the earliest statements of Jesus' nature, okay, let me just explain that for a second. You know, the question is, who is Jesus? Well, man, 
You know, if you've been attending our Sunday school class with Paul Watkins, you'll know that when, uh, when we ask this question, that's a, a rich and deep and complex question because Jesus is, there's nobody like him. And, and the scripture teaches us about him. And, and here's the point that's interesting to me. Some of the earliest and richest statements about Jesus at the very beginning of, of the church come to us in hymns and songs. I just find that really important. It's important for this, because knowing Jesus is an affair of the heart. Now, we're gonna use words today to try to describe some of that, but friend, if you want to know the power of Jesus Christ in your own life, it has to come here. It has to be accurate, right? We can't have wrong views of Jesus. But to know him is the point to know him right here. That's the answer. And it's important for us to know that John, when he wants to tell us the story, is gonna sing. He's gonna be a poet. He's gonna use symbols and metaphors and he's gonna try to get here. And that's why this gospel starts out so beautifully. In the beginning was the word. You can hear it. Isn't that, it's lyrical. In the beginning was the word. Now let's Let's work through these five verses together so we catch some of the glory and the magnitude of this. In the beginning was the word. Now let's just hold on to that, that term, word. <laughs> that word, word. That's a really powerful statement there, okay? In the beginning was the word. Now if you're a Bible student, you'll know that that word is logos. You know, if anybody knows any Greek at all, probably that's one of the Greek words they might know because you, you just read a lot about that in Bible commentaries and stuff. Logos. It was an important word at the time of John. A lot of Greek people were thinking about this concept of the word, logos. Um, in the Hebrew, the Hebrew also, the word for that is also very powerful and a lot of scripture uses this word. It's called davar. Um, the Hebrew word is davar. Now, here's why I'm kind of referring to those because it's hard for us in our English language to capture. When we think of a word, we're thinking like scrabble or boggle, which many of you may have been playing this last week. At least our family did, a lot of that. Um, and we tend to think of it very rationally. In the beginning, it was the word. Now, if you're a philosopher, you're like, oh, this is great, and you just get into all this kind of metaphysical stuff. That's not really the power behind this. It's not so much an idea as it is a dynamic essence, a quality that unites the content and the power. It's not so much, John's not trying to philosophize here. He's trying to get to the revelation of something that's very powerful and dynamic. Here's the best way I can say it, because uh, in, in the letter to Hebrews, it talks about this, chapter four, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active. That captures much more closer to what John is saying here when he says, in the beginning was the word. The word, something living and active and powerful and dynamic, and in scripture you have just a, a flourishing of content around that term, word, it's creative and organizing and discerning and healing and judging and life-giving. God's word is from himself. It's something that comes from himself. So, for example, in Psalm uh, 33, verse six, this is a hymn from King David. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. Do you see how that's dynamic and, and it's a quality of something? 
Or here's a beautiful psalm from Psalm 107, verse 20. He sent out his word and healed them. So the word has power to heal, power to create, power to restore, power to promise. That's why Jesus, when he was tempted in the wilderness, many of you may know that story, he's face to face with the devil. And Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, quoting Moses. Man lives on every word. It's like bread. It's so intimately connected with God that we feast on him. And that's why in our Anglican liturgy, we have the sacrament of the word followed by the sacrament of the word made flesh. We hear and we eat. These are trying to capture the dynamic power of the word. And in the beginning was this word. In the very, very beginning. So let's, let's move into verse one and start with that phrase, in the beginning. Now, um, uh, in the beginning, um, is a great phrase, in the beginning of what? All right, this is a beautiful place to start, and if you know your scripture, you'll know that that's quoting Genesis chapter one, in the beginning. So John one and Genesis one, same amazing, poetic, powerful statement, in the beginning. Well, here's the point, again, we're not getting into metaphysics here. Jesus, if you wanna know the term, is preexistent, he always was, we'll get to that in a second, but that's not what is really being addressed here. It's the beginning of everything that we can grasp as humans. God God isn't just simply telling a story about himself. And that's the philosophical thing. God is telling the story about himself and us. That's where he's the beginning of. You can't go any farther back. Everything that we know, everything that matters, everything that we can conceive of, everything at that point in that beginning of all this that matters to us, the word was there. And that should bolster our faith. There never was anything where the word was not there. Do you remember, I'll refer to this again, but at the beginning we said there's gotta be something that's stronger than the strength of your own challenge. Something that's stronger than the strength of your own question. Well, this should help because there never was a time ever in anything that ever matters to you in your life where the word was not there. He was there at the very beginning. He knows exactly what happened at the very start of all of this. In the beginning, in the beginning of the story, in the beginning of all that there is, there was never a time when he was not there. And so we can see that John is poetically importing all the beauty and the, the richness of that creation story from Genesis chapter one. It's not speculation, it's proclamation. There's a difference. This isn't meant for us to kind of speculate about. John's saying in the beginning the word was there at the origin of all things that matter. Now, you'll see in verse one, the word was is used three times. And this is important for us. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. All right, so if you wanna look at verse one, you can hang your hat on those three hooks for a second. And the word was, um, in the beginning was the word, um, uh, hold on a second. 
I wanna go to the phrase, the word was with God. That's where we wanna start with. The word was with God. So in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. This is a, a description of relationship. So one thing that we can say about the word is the kind of relationship that the word has with God. So here we're saying that the word was with God in a kind of relationship. The word and God are related to each other, which is something that John's gospel is going to unfold little by little. So as we move forward from this great hymn into the story of Jesus' life, John is gonna show us how it is that the word who is Jesus is with God in this relationship. The relationship implies kind of interaction and collaboration, a way of being together. So one thing that we can say about the word made flesh is that he has a way of being together with God the Father. And that way of being together implies that the word's way of being is intimately connected with God's way of being. All right, so let me show you what that'll sound like as we move into the gospel. Here's what Jesus says to some people who are questioning why he's doing what he's doing. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees his father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. That's the kind of relationship that the word and the father have. So when you want to know what God is like, you can look to Jesus and you can know that's what he's like. You know, don't get caught into this trap if you ever, somebody springs this on you, that you have the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. That's just terrible, terrible theology, all right? There's one God, and he has one nature, and we know that nature exactly when we look at Jesus Christ because he is with God. Now, we can move on to the next was statement, and the word was God. The word was with God, and the word was God. Uh, you're going to have to forgive me. I got a little mixed up in my order here, but that's okay. Order doesn't matter. The word was with God, and now we're going to talk about the word was God. Um, actually, you know what? I am going to go back to the first one. I'm sorry about that, folks. So w there are still three was's. I just started with the second one, okay? The word was with God. Let me just uh, hang on to the word in the beginning was the word. Well, no, I covered that already. I'm sorry. My notes got a little turned around, but that's actually, I'd, I didn't have to say any of that because I was going along just fine. <laughs> Forget all that. We're on track. The word was God. This is the third was, so let me just reorient myself here. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And now the word was God. Now this is perhaps the most challenging of the statements because, you know, we worship one God. And now all of a sudden, Jesus comes into the world and he starts acting like he is God. Now you can imagine, especially to the Jewish people at the time, that was a rather scandalous thought. It's actually a rather scandalous thought to us too if our theology is wrong. We don't worship three gods, we worship one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that was something that nobody had thought of before. 
And all of a sudden, Jesus, in the way that he ministers and the way that he teaches, is going to show us how it is that he is God. But that's not the sort of thing that Jesus can kind of just drop out of the sky and say, hey, I'm God. That would have been, that pill would have been too big for the Jewish people to swallow. That has to happen carefully. And so the way that this comes through in John is so beautiful. He was, it builds towards this climax of saying that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. It's a very careful way of saying something very powerful that builds into the story over time. On the one hand, we have to hold together the divine nature of the Word and on the other hand, we can't present it, John says, as though there's two different gods. And John draws together the strands of witness from Israel's scriptures that allude to God, God's nature. So he doesn't come right out and say, Jesus is God. That comes, that builds. But in his mercy, Jesus will slowly disclose and reveal how that can possibly be. One of the ways that we've already heard of is that Jesus shows us through his words and actions that he has a unique relationship. He says, I and my Father are one. And, and yet you can see that Jesus wants to kind of humble himself as he discloses this great powerful truth. That's why, in, for example, in one of these hymns I was referring to, the Apostle Paul says, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Taking on the form of a servant, he humbled himself by becoming obedient and so John is just beginning now to slowly reveal the magnitude of the Savior that the gospel will describe. So in the beginning, in fellowship with God, as God. Now, John then begins to move into a little closer to our world, and he says, this is the word. And the word actually isn't just in a place that we can't access, but actually he created all things. Through the word, all things are created. So the word has a special relationship with God, and the word is active in creation. That's two things that we now know about the word. And um, again, John will be drawing on Israel's witness here as the Old Testament writers sing about God and as they prophesy about God and as they write about God. They start capturing some of the diversity of God's nature. And here's an example of that we can talk about um, in, in Proverbs. This is a, a famous passage that a lot of people think about when they think about John's hymn. This is, uh, this is the Jewish writers talking about wisdom, God's wisdom, a very similar concept to, to this word. Here's what wisdom sings. When he established the heavens, I was there, wisdom. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, I was beside him like a master workman, and I was his daily delight. So you can see that the Jewish people themselves are understanding that there's a way of God's being in the world that's so close and so intimate and so dynamic that it starts to, it starts to, it starts to stretch the language. 
And, and in fact, um, when Jesus comes, he's able to say, well, I am that word, and I was there to create all things. When God said with his mouth the word, let there be light, and there was light, that shows you the power of that word. The word was the source of life and the very birth of the world, and it's raw beauty. That's why Paul could say about Jesus, for him and through him and to him are all things. To say that the word created all things means that he's a part of everything that's going on in your life. He's authoritative, providential over the actions of this world. He's not separate from it. He's not a part of it. You know, some people believe that God is in the world like the world is God, and that's not true. God created the world. He's separate from the world, but he's over the world. That's another way of saying that he's guiding providentially the very actions of your own life. And that gets us to the climax of this passage. That word that is with God, that is God, through whom all things were created, that word brings light, light and life into the world. The darkness cannot overcome it. There's a present tense in that verse five, the light shines in darkness. That's a present tense verb. It shined at the very start, even when the enemy tried to rob Adam and Eve of their heritage. Even then the light was shining and the darkness has not, past tense, not then, not now and not in the future will the darkness ever overcome the power of that word that is the source of light and life. It will never happen. The light shines in the darkness just like it did on day one. And the darkness then could not overcome it and it has not overcome it. It is not overcoming it today and it will not overcome it in the future. The gospel that John is telling today centers on Jesus Christ. What governs creation? What governs your own life? Not fate, not destiny, not the force, not our best efforts to fix things. None of those things have power and authority. Jesus does. Jesus has authority because he was with God, he is God, He created the world, he remains creative, and he will come again to create the new world. I want us to see that the strength of Jesus is stronger than the strength of your deepest challenge. There there never was a time when the darkness of the world has ever been that strong that it can overcome the strength of Jesus Christ, the word of God in your life. Jesus will always, always have more power than the darkness. I want to close with this. I, I, um, I remember when I was a boy, I, I was probably about four or five because we were going to Florida. My, my grandma and grandpa for a period of time lived on the ocean. And to me, that was spectacular. I mean, it's hard to put into words a four-year-old's experience with the ocean. You know, you, you get your little swim trunks on. I had red, white, and blue swim trunks my mom made for me, and I thought they were awesome. And uh, 
And I, you, you, you'd no sooner get my, my grandparents' apartment than you'd rip the suitcase open and get those swimming trunks out. And, uh, and, and, and you'd, you'd, you'd run out the door, and you couldn't see the ocean because you had to walk up these steps, and, and, then, and then you would, you would walk up the steps, and then you would see the ocean. And, and its power, and its magnitude, its strength, its... It, 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 it's just, it's sheer physicality of, of its greatness, you know, and, and, and as a free, you would run, and I had no idea where my dad was, to, to be honest with you. In my memory, all right, I, I know that I would not let my four-year-old just run cattywampus into the ocean, and I'm sure he didn't either, and I'll get to that in a second. But at that moment, I didn't think about that. That's the point. At that moment, I was enthralled with just running into this ocean. And, and, and yet, as I would grow, draw closer, I would get just a little bit cautious because, these wa- because the, your perspective changes, and all of a sudden, it looks like the ocean's bigger than you, and the waves are bigger than you when you're four. And I would fling myself out in, into, the, into the ocean, and I would feel I could, the salt and the wind and, the, and, and it just, it just the raw energy of all of it. And I remember we would jump the waves. The waves would come in, and you would kind of jump up above them. And I remember once getting swamped by a wave. And, uh, and I was doing that somersault thing. It's a good thing my mom tied those swimming trucks on real tight. And, and I remember... I remember that moment of being in this somersault and being completely disoriented and, and afraid, and I, I didn't know where this was going to go. It was a very awful experience, and all of a sudden, an arm reached down out of who knows where and pulled me out, and it was my dad's arm, and he pulled me up into himself, and he stood up, and all of a sudden, the wave was a lot smaller, and, and I was right where I belonged, and the whole ocean just seemed different. It just wasn't my perspective changed completely. And I realized that there was something stronger in that moment than the strength of the thing that was taking me down. And the ocean was beautiful again. That's the word made flesh. Jesus is not standing on the side of the boat. He's not the guy standing on the side of the boat throwing you a life preserver. He's the guy that's actually putting his arm in the water to take you out. There's a big difference. Do you see Jesus as a guy trying to throw you the life preserver? He's not that guy. That's John, actually. John said, I'm going to point you the way. Jesus is not the guy saying, hey, I hope this works. (laughs) He's actually there doing this. It's the Word made flesh, the right hand of God who's coming to show you that His strength is stronger than the strength of your own challenge. And I know there are many of us this morning who have faced and are facing very difficult challenges. And what John wants to say is that this isn't about a big idea. It's about a big God. It's not about getting things worked out. It's about letting Jesus in your life. It's not about, not, not about trying harder. It's about trusting more in the strength of the one who was at the very beginning and has never left. And the darkness that tried to get in there will not prevail. I'll just close with this last phrase because we're going to hear this again in John 
He's the Alpha and the Omega. What do you start a word with and what do you end it with? The Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. The Omega is the last. Jesus was the first letter of your life. He'll be the last letter of your eternal existence and he's with you in every letter in between. Trust more in Jesus Christ, the word with God, who was God, who creates a new reality in our lives. Amen.